Hello and welcome. This is At the Jazz Band Ball, a podcast about early jazz and swing music. I'm Kevin McLaughlin. It's great to have you along. was Wrapping It Up from 1934, played for us by the Fletcher Henderson Band. Well, Wrapping It Up was really the signature style of the Fletcher Henderson Band. It's an example of a head chart, which the trumpeter Rex Stewart describes to us as improvised riffs or licks that the players in the band would simply improvise on their own in rehearsals. And then Henderson, thinking it sounded pretty good, decided to write these down. 
Uh, he harmonized the riffs and made some conscious choices about trading phrases between the brasses and saxes and turned it all into a pretty hard-swinging arrangement. Uh, the style was widely imitated by other bands, and one of those was Benny Goodman's. Uh, Benny Goodman, you know, the great clarinetist and band leader, he liked these arrangements a lot. And in fact, he liked them so much, he hired Fletcher Henderson to uh, to come and be his own arranger. And in the Goodman band, this basic Henderson formula evolved from a largely ensemble style to one featuring solos and soloists. And this was really the magic formula for what was to become mature swing of the late 30s and 40s. Well, this week on At the Jazz Band Ball, we'll be listening to the Fletcher Henderson Band, led by one of the more unlikely, and you might say reluctant, leaders in jazz, but easily one of the most talented. Fletcher Henderson, nicknamed Smack for the way he smacked his lips, apparently even in his sleep, was born in Cuthbert, Georgia in 1897 to a middle-class African-American family. His father was the principal of a school for teachers, and his mother, a teacher herself, taught Fletcher and his younger brother Horace to play piano. Well, Fletcher worked pretty hard at the piano, apparently being forced to practice for six hours at a time, locked in his room by his father, and was by all accounts an extremely gifted player. But he decided uh, to dedicate himself to mathematics and science and graduated in 1920 at Atlanta University with a bachelor's degree both in chemistry and mathematics. Well, Henderson moved to New York City to find work as a chemist, but there was precious little work to be had for a black man in the 1920s, even in New York, and even with his degrees. So he found work as a musician instead. He worked on a riverboat and was a song demonstrator, a song plugger, they used to call it, and accompanied blues singers like Ethel Waters, who first taught him to play the blues. Let's listen to an early recording of Fletcher Henderson on the piano with the vaudeville and blues singer Ethel Waters. It's from 1925, and it's called Brother, You've Got Me Wrong. I can hold my own, believe you be so brother. 
1925. That was Ethel Waters singing with Fletcher Henderson playing one of his first uh, piano jobs back in 1925. We're listening to the music of Fletcher Henderson today on At the Jazz Band Ball. I'm Kevin McLaughlin. Well, after finally making the switch from chemistry to music, Henderson eventually drifted into a career as a band leader. He demonstrated songs for a while for a music publisher, performed a little, and then hooked up with Black Swan, the first African-American record label in New York City. And in 1922, he formed his own band. Uh, His first steady job with his band was at the Club Alabama on Broadway, but only after the band's players, not Henderson himself, talked their way into auditioning for their first long-term engagement. And this was an engagement that led to the band's first real acclaim. Here's Teapot Dome Blues from this early period of the band. We're going to hear Elmer Chambers and Howard Scott on cornet, Teddy Nixon on trombone, and Don Redman, who would take a lot of the arranging duties later on, on clarinet and alto sax, and Coleman Hawkins, you'll hear, on tenor sax, and Fletcher on piano. Here's Teapot Dome Blues, recorded in New York City, 1924. Thank you. 
Teapot Dome Blues with the Fletcher Henderson Band from 1924. Well, next up we're going to listen to the 1924-25 period of the Fletcher Henderson Band when Louis Armstrong briefly joined by way of Chicago. It's hard to overstate the impact that Louis Armstrong had on both the Fletcher Henderson Band, which was considered the cream of the crop at the time, and on jazz music itself. Almost right away, and you'll hear it with these recordings of Copenhagen and then Sugarfoot Stomp, the band utterly transforms from a a tight book-reading ensemble to something wilder and hotter. Uh, Louis Armstrong's solos just spill over with melodic and rhythmic invention. He was not afraid to anticipate or delay time to heighten rhythmic tension. He added two or three notes at the top of the trumpeter's register, sometimes ending solos or pieces or whole nights on a high E-flat or high F, where a B-flat or a C was considered extreme. Well, here are a couple of examples of the Louis Armstrong effect. First Copenhagen from 1924 and then Sugarfoot Stomp from 1925. Thank you. 
play that thing. Sugarfoot Stomp uh, from 1925, and then before that, Copenhagen, 1924. I just love the endings of both of those tunes. Copenhagen for its sort of wandering off in chromatic sequences, and Sugarfoot for that strange three-note sax riff that just fades away. Well, Louis Armstrong had a lasting influence on the Fletcher Henderson Band and his arranger, Don Redmond, both of whom had begun uh, integrating Armstrong's kind of swinging vocabulary into their arrangements and really transformed Henderson's band into what is generally regarded as the first big band, uh, swing, swing band. Armstrong left the Henderson Band after just a year for a couple of reasons. One, because he said his Southern background didn't mesh well with the urban Northern mentality of Henderson's other musicians, who sometimes gave Armstrong a hard time over his wardrobe and his his way of speaking. And then second, because Henderson uh, forbade Armstrong from singing, afraid that his rough way of vocalizing would be unacceptable to sophisticated audiences at the Roseland Ballroom, where Henderson had uh, set up shop. Well, we're listening to the music of Fletcher Henderson today on At the Jazz Band Ball. I'm Kevin McLaughlin. Henderson had a knack for finding talent, but he did not always have much luck in keeping it. On many occasions, he lost talented members to other band leaders. He also had trouble with finances. His easygoing manner probably contributed to this limited success. Uh, But also, his band was very popular in New York, and his arrangements became very influential, uh, attracting the interest of other band leaders. And then soon, Henderson would lose these arrangements to them, or they would buy them from him. Then these other bands would have much more commercial success with the same arrangements than Henderson ever did. Well, next we're going to hear a couple of tunes that were made famous by the Henderson Band that both benefited from and also generated influence. First, Hot and Anxious from 1931. It's a tune that was borrowed from a riff that Wingy Manone uh, made famous in his Tar Paper Stomp the previous year. I think you'll recognize the riff about a minute in, since after Henderson's Hot and Anxious, it showed up again in what may be the most played and most commercially successful swing tune ever. (laughs) ¶¶ 
Fletcher Henderson's Hot and Anxious from 1931, a tune that was borrowed from a riff made famous by Wingy Manone's tune, Tar Paper's Stomp, from the previous year, and then had later life in probably the most famous and commercially successful swing band number ever in the mood. Well, next we have D-Natural Blues from March 14th, 1928, This tune shows Henderson's interest and aptitude for the blues form. There are about three different variations on the 12-bar blues here. And the title itself may be a pun on the music's combination of sophistication and earthiness, denatural blues, but also D major is an unusual key to play for B-flat instruments. You might recognize, by the way, the tune following the intro. It was put to pretty good use by a more famous composer in the same year.
Natural Blues, played by the Fletcher Henderson Band in 1928. Hey, I wonder if you recognize the first tune after the intro. Remember that whenever music is played, whether it's in a club or a stage or on the radio, it's heard by anyone within earshot, including other composers, and influence on their own works is usually a possibility. I think I'll play a little clip of that tune again and follow it with where, to my ear, it seems to show up in a piece written around the same time. Yep, An American in Paris by George Gershwin, which premiered in December of 1928 at Carnegie Hall. So it could be one of those musical coincidences or just shows George Gershwin's affection for the music of the time. In 1939, the Henderson Band disbanded, and Henderson joined Goodman's Band as pianist and arranger, and Fletcher reformed his band several times in the 40s and toured with his old pal Ethel Waters again in 1948 and 49. Uh, He suffered a stroke in 1950, resulting in partial paralysis that really ended his career as a pianist. He died in New York City in 1952. 11 days after his 55th birthday. Well, thanks for listening with me today. I hope you enjoyed our visit with Fletcher Henderson and uh, some of my very favorite music from this period. This has been At the Jazz Band Ball. I'm Kevin McLaughlin. And by the way, if you're enjoying these podcasts, let me know. Uh, You can subscribe to my Substack, which I've just set up, so bear with me. I believe it is substack.com forward slash at at the jazz band ball. So see if that works. If it doesn't, we have time for one more tune from the Fletcher Henderson book to share with you. This is the early version of the Stampede arranged by Don Redman and recorded in 1926. Enjoy and have a great week, everybody.
This has been At the Jazz Band Ball. It's a show about early jazz and swing music. I'm Kevin McLaughlin.